First Chronicles chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 25, Following the reading from 1 Chronicles 11, we'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and read verses 1 to 6. We'll begin with 1 Chronicles chapter 11. This follows on the heels of the death of Saul and his sons, King Saul and his sons. First Chronicles 11. Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, You were the one who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord through Samuel. Then David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jabus. And the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, were there. The inhabitants of Jabus said to David, You shall not enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David had said, Whoever strikes down a Jebusite first shall be chief and commander. Joab the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore it is called the city of David. He built the city all around from the millow, even to the surrounding area, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. These constitute the list of the mighty men whom David had. Jashobim, the son of a Hakmonite, the chief of the thirty. He lifted up his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pastamim, when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle, and there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines. They took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory." Now, three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam, while the army of the Philistines was camping in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, while the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. David had a craving and said, Oh, 
that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their lives? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. As for Abshai, the brother of Joab, he was chief of the thirty, and he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them. And he had a name as well as the thirty. Of the three in the second rank, he was the most honored and became their commander. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, mighty indeed, struck down the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He went down and killed a lion inside a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. Now in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam, but he went down to him with a club and snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah the son of Jehoiada did and had a name as well as the three mighty men. Behold, he was honored among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David appointed him over his guard. And now we come to the second book or second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am Meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending into the world in these last days the powerful ministry of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you equip your saints by your Spirit to be bold, to be resourceful, to be true, to be loyal to Jesus Christ above all. We ask for your blessing upon this, our understanding of this text and this exposition of it. Help me, I pray. 
Help us all to hear, to understand, and to be blessed and edified. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in this age of profound social isolation and loneliness and the widespread propensity of people to mask one's own true flesh and blood self behind the cyber wall of social media. In days like this, it's immensely helpful to remember that as God's king of Israel, God's anointed king of Israel, David gathered to himself 30 men of valor, 30 mighty men of valor. These were reliable men, trusted men, proven men. These are men David could count on to be there when he needed them. And frankly, these men were good in a fight. They were good in a fight. Many of these 30 valiant men likely rose to the ranks of those 400 men who joined him, joined David, at the stronghold, the cave of Adullam, back in the days when David was on the run from the insane jealousy of King Saul. Taken as a group, these 400 Adullamites who gathered themselves to David were rough men. They were rough men, and not just rough around the edges. Nature, combined with hard experience in life, had made most of these 400 Adullamites bad to the bone. They were bad to the bone. These were men not to be messed with. 1 Samuel 22 follows on the heels of David's ejection from the court of Achish, the king of Gath, a Philistine. So great was the fear of the, that great Israelite warrior, David, there among the Philistines. They feared him so much that Achish had to send David away. They wouldn't go to battle. The Philistines wouldn't go to battle if David was among them. And the scripture tells us, so David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And out of all of those 400 men, there was not a seminary graduate among them. There was not a Bible college graduate among them. In fact, you can be pretty sure, given this data that we have on these men who went to him at the cave, the data that some of these 400 oddballs for whom David became responsible weren't much more than just so many more mouths to feed. 
But in those shared desperate times of exile and hardship, 30 of them proved themselves. For the sake of God's kingdom, over which David now reigned rightfully as God's anointed, these bold, resourceful men placed themselves at David's disposal. And they did remarkable things, didn't they? Look at the record. Jashobium, Eliezer, Abishai, Benaiah, and those three stout-hearted invincibles who for David's sake broke into Bethlehem, which was held by the enemy, broke into Bethlehem just to fetch for their captain a refreshing sip of water from the well of his old hometown. Just to cheer his heart. Just to encourage him. Just to remind him of those good old days when life in Israel seemed normal. The accomplishments of these 30 men are not those of your average 9 to 5 work day. These are exploits. These are above and beyond the call of duty. These are, as they used to say probably a hundred years ago, these are deeds of daring do. And dear ones, you can count on it. Whatever the times in which we live, it's by his deeds, not by his words, but by his deeds, that we come to know man's true value. Deeds, not words. Now I mention these men because we've gathered here this evening to elect ruling elders. And I want you to consider this, that the virtues displayed by these 30 rough-and-tumble men of the past Virtues that were exercised for David's sake. These virtues easily parallel those of the men who today shepherd the flock of David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I put it this way because boldness for the kingdom of God takes many different forms. God raises up men to meet not the needs of the past, but the needs of the present. Armies today, if they are smart, if they're led by smart generals, armies trained to fight not the last war, but the next one. So if the church, the need of the church today were for disarming and slaying Egyptian giants, if the need of the church today were for mowing down 300 men in a barley field, or defending barley fields, or killing lions in pits on snowy days, if that were the need of the church today, then we would be electing men tonight who had the proven ability to do those things. But boldness for the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ takes many different forms. 
takes the exercise of many different gifts of the Holy Spirit to meet the church's present need. Very briefly this evening, I want to draw six parallels between the mighty men who served King David and the men today who served David's infinitely greater son. First of all, consider, if you will, that both groups of valiant men, those back then and those now, are men of experience. Experience. What we're reading here in 1 Chronicles 11 is essentially the resume of several extraordinary men in His Majesty the King's service. And they didn't become such men of extraordinary usefulness in the king's service merely by staying home and reading books. Now, I'm not knocking reading books, but there's more to it than that. These men became extraordinary through year after faithful year of conditioning and practice. I have no doubt but that some of these mighty men of David these mighty men of old bore on their bodies the scars of past battles. Battles that maybe didn't turn out so well for them back in the day. But they survived those earlier encounters. They lived to tell the tale and they learned not to make the same mistake twice. And it's required of elders, too, that they be men of experience. That's why we call them elders, not youngers. They're elders. The duty of boys is to become men. The duty of men is to become like our Lord Jesus Christ, our captain, our king. And neither of those two processes, the natural or the spiritual, neither of them takes place overnight. Paul specifies to Timothy that the overseer of Christ's flock be not a new convert. The fruit has to ripen. The firewood has to season. And the best wine, I'm told, is wine served on the lees. We need men of experience. Secondly, these are men of proven loyalty to Christ our King and his people. Think of those three men who voluntarily went behind enemy lines simply to fetch a canteen of water for David without any orders from David to risk their lives for him risked their lives as they did, they just went. For sheer love of David, their captain, they went. The Ephesian elders there on the beach at Miletus in Acts 20, they were charged by Paul to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then Paul went on to tell them that there's nothing about this shepherding work that's safe or easy. In fact, he goes on to tell them, some of you Ephesian elders are going to fail. You're going to turn away, you're going to be turncoats, savage wolves, ravage the flock, and fail in your job as elders. The Lord's own brother James, in fact, tells us, let not many of you become teachers, brothers, brothers, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. So knowing that it's not safe or easy to be an elder, knowing that those who teach are going to incur a stricter judgment before God's throne, we might well ask, what could possibly induce a man to seek the office of elder, an office whose biblically stated qualifications include that of being apt to teach? I can't think of a single thing that might induce any man to take upon himself such a terrible liability, such a terrible spiritual liability, a stricter judgment before God, unless that reason is sheer loving loyalty to Jesus Christ, our King, and his beloved church. A third characteristic. Clearly, these are men of great daring, men who dare great things. The angel Gabriel once asked the question, is anything too hard for God? And whether that question appears on the lips of an angel or of a mature Christian man, the question virtually answers itself. As David's friend and soulmate once said to his armor bearer, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And those two men, Jonathan and his armor bearer, went up the cliff into the waiting arms of the Philistines and routed them. They dare great things for the kingdom of God and of his Christ. Fourthly, these are men of excellence. The 31st chapter of the Proverbs asks the very important question. An excellent woman who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And the church the bride of Christ might very well ask the same question about men. Where are the excellent men? Friends, the excellent men are those who've been training for this Christian warfare for a while. Men who've been sitting loyally at the feet of Jesus Christ, our captain and king. Men who are determined that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If iron sharpens iron, and we know it does, then you can be sure that you'll find the sharpest of Christian men in one another's company, using all the available means of grace to become gracious. You'll find them practicing this Christian life, this Christian warfare, together as a team, shoulder to shoulder and backs to the wall. There you'll find the excellent men. Fifthly, they are by grace men of great resolve. Great resolve. The mere word of David was the hill on which every last one of his 30 mighty men was ready to die. So it is with every true soldier of Jesus Christ. If Christ has willed it, then beyond all doubt it will be done, and the Christian man will either see it through to its end or die trying. They're men of great resolve. Because finally, he's a man of selfless service. Selfless service. These are men who ask themselves, why am I here if not to serve Jesus Christ, my Lord and King? Why am I here but to put the interests of others ahead of my own? As we wrap this up, I want to uh, commend to you this Useful practical exercise. You don't have to do it tonight, but I want you to think about it and meditate on it for a while and try to answer the question if you can. I'd like you to consider it for your reflection through these days of epidemic loneliness and social isolation. I want you to answer this question. Who are the 30 mighty men In my life, the 30 mighty men that I can count on to be there whenever I need them. Ask yourself that. And you may be thinking, 30? (laughs) 30? I don't have 30 friends in the world. So let's start here. Who are those who even attain to the three in your life? Do you even have three faithful Christian men in your life? Men to support you. Men to encourage you in the Lord. Men to watch over your souls as those who will one day give an account. Who are the great hearts in your life? The great hearts that you depend upon to lead you to Christ. And then afterwards to accompany you just as far as they can, as far as God's providence will allow, across the river and on up that hill to the celestial city. Who are those men? Christian fathers, I hope. Christian husbands. Christian brothers. 
Christian elders. Let these become the church's men of renown. Let their deeds in the might and power of the Holy Spirit follow on after them from generation to generation. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the means that you use to accomplish the ends that you have in mind for your people. We thank you for the web of wholesome, godly relationships into which you draw us with the intent of transforming us into the image of those older than us, wiser than us. Each of us now raises from the banks of memory those men and women who have gone before us and taught us what it is to follow Christ as a man or as a woman. We ask, O Lord, that you would raise up many more and that among the children who are here tonight and the children of this church, you would raise up from the boys men, from the girls godly women, and from the heart of the church, Christian homes for the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. Grant these things, we pray, for your glory and the good of your bride, your body, your church. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our captain and king. Amen.